Well, welcome back to our annual year-end show of Policing Matters. I'm Jim Dudley. Well, thanks for listening and welcome back. I hope everyone's well. I look forward to a turn for the better for all of us in 2022. We've got a great show today. I've got a returning guest and friend of the podcast, fellow Police One columnist and university professor, former law enforcement officer, Dr. Janae Gasparini. Welcome, Janae. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, well, what a year. What a year 2020 has been. Um, many of us thought could not be topped. And here we are in 2021. And, uh, you know, around the country, we're seeing, you know, gigantic homicide rates, um, you know, Chicago and uh, others, uh, Philadelphia, top in numbers they haven't seen before. Um, some, th- some say... Um, Things are going to be better in 2022. Uh, There will be no shortage of controversies, I'm sure. Uh, Stick around as we discuss each of our top five issues. And um, we'll start out with the COVID uh, issues. Those were huge. Wouldn't you agree with, uh, I mean, not only did we send cops out into COVID to handle people most likely to be exposed with uh, maybe latex gloves, maybe an N95 mask. And we did nearly a year of that or a good nine months. And then lo and behold, we have a vax, a vaccine that's gonna protect us. And and police uh, as first responders seem to be like the second tier of those eligible. And now uh, some some jurisdictions are saying, hey, not so fast. If you don't have the vaccine, we're going to lay you off or fire you or put you on administrative leave or something crazy. That's that's the West Coast version. What's happening on the East Coast? Sure. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, more of the same. I mean, I was giving this issue some thought. And, um, you know, we know from the data that police officers have resisted the vaccine actually at a higher rate than the general public. And I was just kind of being devil's advocate with this. And I couldn't help but wonder um, maybe one way to consider this issue, um, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm not very surprised by this only because, um, you know, you're in a profession that's been kind of mischaracterized and misrepresented consistently by the media and by politicians. And like, maybe, I don't know, I'm just self-advocate. Maybe you're a little bit resistant, you know, to, to being mandated to do something and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, my hope is, is for ultimate, you know, safety and health of our officers all the time. So hopefully we can move forward with this. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's a personal choice. Uh, I'm not, I'm not vilifying anyone who decides not to get it or gets, Absolutely. you know, they're on their third booster, right. but uh, preliminary data from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, the NLEOMF, uh, as of December 31st, 2020, 264 federal, state, military, tribal, and local law enforcement's died in line of duty in 2020, an increase of 96% from the 135 officers killed during the same period uh, the year before. In 2020, officer fatalities ranged from automobile crashes to heart attacks, gunshots to um, being beaten to death. And of these tragic deaths, COVID-19 related fatalities were the single highest cause of officer line of duty deaths in 2020. Yes, it is. It's, it's, it's a stunning thing to think about for sure. And, 
you know, like I said, I hope I hope we can move forward with this the best way possible. But uh, definitely something to pay attention to moving into the new year for sure. Yeah, for sure. New strains and what have you. So yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So what's what's your next issue? Okay, so I might be a little biased here. Um, but actually, I want to say one thing before I jump into my number one. Um, I just want to kind of give credit that I think is has not been given. And that's just overwhelmingly this this past year in response to 2020, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, everything, the, the massive move off our mark we've done in this field. It's just been, and, and we're gonna we're gonna illustrate that today with our topics, but just good job out there. And it's, it's not being said. So I just wanted to take a minute to say, you know, congratulations on being responsive to change and, and things of that nature. So with that, my number one, and I might be biased, is women in policing. So we know that women in policing, um, as far as TV dramas are concerned, they're highly represented, but this is not true to real life. In 2021, we have 12% of our police force um, are women and only 3% are in leadership roles. So it was kind of interesting to me, like with the police reform conversations that um, while there are some voices out there um, dealing with women in policing, you know, it was kind of, again, like understated or undersung that everything, almost everything that reformers are asking for and communities are asking for aligns and dovetails perfectly with what female officers bring to the table, right? Less use of force, less excessive force, fewer complaints and lawsuits, uh, a, a positive public perception um, in the data we see, public viewing women as more honest and more compassionate, positive outcomes for crime victims. And, you know, we know it takes all kinds in our field and women can and do fill specific roles and community needs. As a matter of fact, my colleague and I are interviewing um, women from across the country uh, who are police officers. And, you know, a lot of this is echoed in, uh, in what they're saying, but, you know, I think something Jim, you and I agree on is that, you know, we definitely want to attract more women, but we never want to decrease our standards. Um, And I think something we agree on is tailoring, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but tailoring recruitment efforts to attract women who are very capable on their own merits. And um, obviously like the hallmark there is going to be not only attracting them, but um, kind of uh, recruiting them um, and getting them into those higher supervisory levels as well. Yeah, we had the um, 30 by 30 initiative guests on the show, um, Chief Yvonne Roman and uh, Mo McGough from uh, NIJ. And yeah, they're big proponents. And that actually feeds into my second issue. And that is the recruiting and retention issues in 2021. Of course, it's going to be another big hurdle in 2022. States and cities have pulled back these, you know, ridiculous defund um slates and issues. Uh, We've seen more agencies that had pulled back now refunding and some actually even giving more, um, you know, more academy classes added to budgets and things like that. Mm -hmm. We've seen Seattle and Portland here on the West Coast, you know, get to like ridiculously low uh, levels of staffing, Oakland, California, low levels. And quite frankly, uh, you know, with some of the the issues that happened in 2020, 2021 there, uh, you know, over 100 days in a row of protests in Portland and um, in Seattle. We had Chief Carmen Best on uh, a few episodes ago, and um, she was actually forced out of her job because of, you know, these um, ridiculous uh, mandates from their city council 
to allow people to take over blocks and barricade the police station and set street fires and, and all of that. So even with bonuses offered and several agencies are offering cash bonuses to attract mm-hmm. officers, including Portland and Seattle, uh, I think they're going to have a hard time recruiting. And I feel really bad for the men and women on those agencies, uh, departments that really struggled over the last two years. And, um, you know, they're, they're running at thin ranks right now. And I think they're going to have a tough time uh, getting more people on board there. Yeah, absolutely. I just read this morning um, before jumping on here with you in our local newspaper that for our county here, um, they normally get 300 folks to take the civil service test. They only have 52. The academy normally has between 30 and 40 applicants. There's only 16 for the spring. Um, you know, it, it's hitting hard. It's, it's real. And, uh, you know, I, I know that our local uh, chiefs of police um, organization, I mean, that's kind of like one of their main focuses for going into the new year. Like, how are we going to do this? And luckily for us, we've got a lot of smart people. And you've had several guests on your show that have some very viable solutions that, that are, I think, exciting and make a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of these bonuses are appealing. I think Seattle at one time was offering twenty five thousand yeah, dollars to enlist. Right. Uh, Colorado and Denver, Portland, Oregon, fifteen thousand dollars. Gardiner, Maine, offering fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. The state of Florida. I think this is great. The state of Florida <laughs> is offering five thousand to people who sign up to police there. It doesn't matter where. Just come to the state. Uh, Chandler, Arizona, 15,000, uh, Idaho, 1,000 hazard pay. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the money is there. Uh, I think, you know, it, this might be a time when uh, agencies really take a look at making the quality of life for police better. I mean, I'd love to go sure. to a Google or a Facebook model where you go oh, to work yeah. and get a haircut <laughs> and a Absolutely. lunch and dinner <laughs> and, you know, all of that. So, yeah. That, that would be a great shift forward in 2022. And I, and I hope to see something like that. I know, I know some chiefs, um, Chief Shy at Pocatello, Idaho, just mm-hmm. constantly is innovating and doing great things for his troops. So I'd love to see that. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think we're seeing uh, overwhelmingly, you know, the reason people are coming to policing, it's always been that service, but it's to make change and, and you know, just kind of it is going to take a cultural shift and, uh, you know, we're certainly in the process of doing that, but um, yeah, I mean, what you're suggesting is kind of like aligned across the board with, um, for example, like what millennials and beyond are looking for in a work experience. You know, there is the money of course, but it's more like you're saying quality of life and balance and things like that. And that's not what we are used to policing, right? We're used to go, 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 kill yourself basically, you know, over time, so on and so forth. So Again, more things to consider. Yeah. What's your what's your next one? My next one is related to what we're talking about. So hiring tools and candidate selection processes for policing. Um, you know, kind of to echo what we just said, there's the argument out there that hiring requirements could use an overhaul to better reflect the type of candidate we're trying to attract. And again, efforts this year that we've undertaken um, are aimed at understanding why people are coming to policing. And we know it's service-driven and change-driven. And um, there's been a suggestion to look at police officers and, and kind of reframe it as more of civic leaders, which is more appealing to those who are community minded. Um, and I understand like given the recruitment crisis, putting additional 
restrictions on hiring is probably the furthest thing from anybody's mind. And it's scary, but I'm going to be optimistic and say, you know, with the refunding, with the pendulum starting to swing back, with communities kind of jockeying, um, you know, how they want policing to fit into, uh, you know, into their, into their lives and into their civic life. A um, couple things that have come out that I was reading about is, is raising the age to 25. And I know that's, that's probably horrifying to any chief right now. Um, and how we're recruiting. So these tools for recruitment, so measuring resilience, compassion, problem solving, and maybe taking a good hard look at civil service processes. And again, never lowering our standards, but kind of changing it to better reflect what we want to see out of our candidates. Um, Police One had a wonderful, I have it right here, a wonderful publication, Developing a Culture of Accountability that came out this year. I highly recommend it for starters, uh, for, for departments. I mean, it's fantastic, full of great ideas. But one of the things that I took away from it was using different psychological tools. Um, specifically, there's one that stood out to me. It's a dispositional resilience scale. And it's measuring, it makes a lot of sense, right? Measuring um, a candidate's psychological readiness and their aptitude for high stress scenarios. Um, yeah, and I think like we should just be bringing all these ideas to the table at this point because uh, it's a new era in policing. I mean, no doubt. And uh, I think our hiring practices and our tools that we use to hire really need to reflect that. Yeah, and I think in the long run, they would benefit the officers, right? It's a sure. stressful job, Absolutely. building emotional intelligence, giving tools for resilience um, down the road, um, you know, may, may give us the ability to have better health and, and live longer. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's, it's a win-win all around, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. We're, we're, we're battling around another debate issue. Um, uh, Nancy Perry, our editor, and, and my partner, uh, Joe, Joel Schultz, in, um, in our debate column, we talk about, uh, we've already done the, um, what, what should the age limit be? And then now we're talking maybe about, should we have a maximum age for law enforcement? And yeah. I mean, I know that would really strike a nerve for, for a lot of people. Sure. Um, you know, I have uh, pros and cons for both. Um, we've had um, officers essentially uh, ROJ, right? Retire on the job. <laughs> right. And some do it at 50 and some do it at 80. And I mean, right. I don't think we should get, um, you know, have officers into their 70s and 80s. You know, mm-hmm. they're kind of, you know, the, you know, the icon, um, the oracle, as they're called sometimes, um, of <laughs> wisdom. But, um, yeah, if you could find a place in your agency for for somebody like that to sort of be the archiver of history and wisdom, great. But I don't see him getting out on the road and yeah. pulling cars over. And I'm sure I'll get some feedback on this. But uh, yeah, I'm sure too. But you know, what's interesting is at the federal level, they really do. I mean, you can't be older than 37, right? Uh, to apply to, to start. Yeah, right. So I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe and, that's, uh, and FBI and others have a maximum age and you've got mm-hmm. to retire out. I think it's right. like 60 or 65, I think. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah. Let's set it up to make that, you know, realistic for people and attainable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we've both uh, hit on two pretty big issues affecting uh, the the career, the profession over the last year. Uh, before we move on to the third, uh, I want to take a break and acknowledge our sponsor today. PoliceOne.com is the number one resource for your up to the minute law enforcement news, training and incident analysis. 
Our mission is to provide you with the information you need to better protect your communities and your safety. Becoming a Police One member is quick, easy, and free. Once registered, you will receive access to secure law enforcement-only training and video tips, articles and sections, and a subscription to our award-winning law enforcement newsletters. Go to policeone.com forward slash registration to sign up today. That's policeone, the number one, dot com forward slash registration. And I'm back and we are listening and talking with Janae Gasparini, professor and former police officer and expert on all things policing. Great to have you here. On That's the show. very, very generous. <laughs> Oh, it's great to be here. Great to be here. Yeah. So we we just talked a little bit about officer support systems, um, you know, getting a better candidate, uh, looking into the background, building emotional intelligence. Uh, officer support systems, my next topic, um, I think one of the really good things that that emerged in 2021 were the officer support systems for mental health, for physical health, fitness, relationships, wellness, meditation, all of it. Uh, we've had several guests on the show. Um, one of the big things that I really appreciate and support are the support systems for the officer's family or spouse or children. Um, you know, we do a lot of community policing things in the field for others and for families and, you know, to address those sort of root causes. But then, you know, like you, you mentioned about overtime, right? You know, we're killing mm -hmm. ourselves working these 60, 80, 90 hour work weeks. And, uh, you know, who's back home taking care of your family. And so sure. uh, mindfulness apps, you know, we've got Calm, Calm offered a free app. Uh, for the past year, I hope they continue. Uh, Cortico, Dr. Black's been on this show, and he's yeah. been awesome at um, at offering support for law enforcement officers. Um, you know, we've got uh, office, you know, Sergeant Hildebrand and um, and others that that have podcasts. The Proud Wife, Rebecca, uh, great support systems, tips, nutrition, all these things for the families of uh, law enforcement officers, peer support programs. Um, what's going on at your way? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I just recently had a conversation with a, a chief locally and we were just saying it's, it's, it's so beyond and past the point of, of fully embracing the fact that we can never expect anyone to do this work and repeatedly be exposed to trauma and um, et cetera, and, and not have these support systems in place. It should just be part and parcel. And like you're saying, not only for the officer, but for the officer's family. You know, I know we both have experiences in, in personal relationships and um, you know, how hard that really is. Um, but what I like, what I'm seeing is this um, front loading of this information and like kind of the normalizing of it, like in police academy, that like, hey, this is what's going to happen to you. Like, there's no way to, to, to get around it. You know, this is what you're dealing with. These are tools that you need to develop. And, you know, to, to those ends, I want to actually add another name and a suggestion, too, for you for the podcast. Erica Gaines with TAC Mobility. Um, TAC Mobility. She's doing tremendous things, and she addresses relationships. She addresses uh, physical fitness and wellness and taking care of yourself, mindfulness, meditation, 
And she's, her whole thing is like the mind and the machine. And, you know, and this certainly, like you're saying, extends to our loved ones and our friends and our family. And uh, it's so important and it just needs to be part of the package. It needs to be part of the benefits you get, part of what's expected. And again, we're, we're dealing with a culture shift here, but I, I see it happening. I think it's happening. Yeah, for sure. And, and listening to the perspectives of spouses, um, whether they be husbands or wives or partners, uh, Chris Luttrell, I would be remiss mm-hmm. if I did not mention yeah. Chris Luttrell. And he's got a, a new podcast called Gravity, Two Feet on the Ground, mm-hmm. where it is mostly he and his wife, Jamie, talking about relationships and coping and resilience and, and all these other things. And it's it's awesome. I think he's got about six or eight shows out right now. And they're, they're really uh, interesting uh, to help support the bond between the, the law enforcement officer and their their significant other. Yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. All right. What's your number three? My number three is duty to intervene and active bystandership. And you had a great segment with Dr. Erwin Staub on the concept of developing active bystandership in law enforcement. I loved listening to this because I really feel like it's a ground ball. I think the challenge lies in um, the idea that we're not necessarily trained to intervene. And that probably, not probably, that definitely needs to happen, you know, how to go about it. And I know, you know, maybe through virtual reality or, or something like that, we, we present those scenarios to officers. And um, here again, with the cultural stuff, as far as not questioning a more seasoned or higher ranking officer, um, something that really stuck out to me about the George Floyd case is, if I'm not mistaken, the officer who actually said something to Chauvin was uh, new. And um, that, I, I, that says something to me. Um, you know, obviously he didn't follow through, but what if he had the training to follow through? What if the agency had a culture of, um, you know, like th- this is a responsibility. I mean, we have some, when we look at the ABLE training, right? So there's more than 150 ABLE agencies in the United States. We've got big cities, Dallas, Boston, Cleveland, Washington, Seattle, Orlando, New York. Um, but in Denver in particular, I was reading and this is kind of taking it another step further. And in addition to the policy that most agencies have, they actually have a legal duty. And I think that's statewide in Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and if that's the case, if, if that's now a legal duty for officers, you know, we can only hope that it will go to follow. There would be a significant training on how to go about doing that. So, I mean, overall, I think this is, this is another ground ball. Um, you know, because I do think that, uh, you know, I, no one can ever convince me that officers aren't overwhelmingly out there doing the right thing. So let's highlight it. <laughs> let's, let's. Yeah, it. for sure. I think, I think there's definitely going to be a shift. Um, you know, we've seen changes in, in use of force and uh, we've been uh, given various versions of de-escalation. And I just yes. talked to a great <laughs> uh, researcher friend, um, actually we went to school together, Dr. Laura Zimmerman at uh, Fletzy, and mm-hmm. she's done studies on de-escalation where they just review all these body cam videos and other things. And, you know, it's not as simple as people think where, no. okay, just de-escalate. And, you know, we talked um, about a future show where, you know, it's really hard for people to comprehend that as a cop, you want to get out on the scene, you want to get out of your car, you want to move to the, the issue. 
And now, you know, we're being asked to do these flyovers, right? Like 30,000 feet and then 10,000 feet and 5,000 feet and then land. And, you know, meanwhile, people are getting hurt and, uh, you know, you want to de-escalate the situation by getting there and, and suppressing the threat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where I think, uh, de-escalation, um, isn't, um, something that's easily understood by the public. Um, We just saw an independent report here in California when during uh, the looting and rioting officers pulled up, uh, there was an individual, all the windows were smashed out of a store. They were looting a store and he took a knee as if to, um, you know, prepare to fire and, you know, a kneeling shooting position. He reached towards his waistband where they discovered later he had a hammer also a weapon, but he he reached in and the officers fired on them and and killed them. And the criticism by this, quote, independent re- report was that the officers didn't use de-escalation techniques. Mm. And mm-hmm. and I'm thinking in, in these unfolding situations, mm-hmm. what are the expectations of people when there is a perceived threat to be somebody drawing on you with a weapon? How do, what do you do? You throw your car in reverse and you just fly out right. of there. Then right. you lose all advantage, right? You know, by your your positioning. So I don't know. No, absolutely. I I agree with that wholeheartedly. And actually, I lost count of where we are, but it kind of leads into my number four, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Are we good? Are we good with that? Okay. <laughs> I think I think I may have skipped my skipped the line here. But um, to those ends, and I give this a lot of thought, and it's something that I think can be worked on, is that we constantly see, and I'm not blaming anyone here because it's just simply a matter of like not knowing. Um, We constantly see this disconnect between public expectation of officer physiology and tactics um, because, you know, I think Lieutenant David Grossman said it best. I was listening to a podcast with him at some point this year, and he made a great point. He said, you know, for police officers to react um, the way that a lot of these folks are asking them to react, he said, you know, these special forces guys, they, it takes them, he said, six years of training because a lot of times, so again, you, you perceive a threat, you perceive someone's going to pull a weapon out on you or they have pulled a weapon out on you. Um, you know, it, your human instinct is going to kick in. And basically people in special forces, high-end uh, special agents, they get tons of training to untrain their their physiological and human reaction and i always mm. show in one of my classes this uh i believe it's a reagan shooting ronald reagan and there's a secret service guy the, the gunfire starts he makes himself huge he sticks his arms out to the side he makes himself a target when we know your reaction to something like that a normal human being is going to duck and make themselves small so you have to out train that and um, you know, I think this is something that you know we need to recognize that that police officers are not given the time, the money, the resources to to train that way. Um, so my number four issue was training and two areas of training that I think um, one deals with uh, use of force and and defensive tactics, and the other one is procedural justice. I wanted to highlight the jujitsu uh, stuff that that has been. I mean, it's been going around. It's, it's becoming, I think, quite a hot topic. As a matter of fact, I was just alerted that I think the state of New Jersey just shifted something um, that they're accepting like jujitsu training. And maybe it's something that we have to think about because 
the optics of jujitsu um, training and somebody who's trained in that way is very different than the traditional police defensive tactics. Um, you know, hitting, punching, kicking, all right, looks very different than controlling someone's motions and, and making them unable to fight back, right? So uh, I know we've got, um, I, I saw Marietta, Georgia police has implemented jujitsu training. They are preliminary, re, preliminarily reporting downward trend in use of force, but, you know, cautious optimism. We need more data before we can make any broad claims. Um, but I think that this is something um, that could really be workable. And maybe maybe we change how, how we're training uh, for these physical confrontations. One of the great things Renner Gracie said in an article, uh, his, the idea is to have officers be more comfortable with closeness, you know, feeling less threatened and having a higher threshold uh, to trigger violence or use of force. And, you know, again, this, that's going to take a trained mind. And, um, but, you know, perhaps something we need to start incorporating. Yeah, for sure. And we've had Henry Gracie on the show yeah. and uh, he is phenomenal. That guy is, uh, yeah. you know, he, he, he walks the walk and he talks the talk. And, uh, you know, I think he's since our show over a year ago, I think he's got uh, 30 states in the mix Great. of approving jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu uh, by their, their posts, by their yeah. police officer standards and trainings. Um, and, uh, I know again, uh, chief Shiat in, in Pocatello, Idaho, he's got one of the uh, Gracie brothers or cousins, uh, teaching on a regular basis. So I, yeah, I think it's possible. Awesome. It's it hands-on. It's a perishable skill. You've got to yes. practice it. Mm -hmm. So it's not one of those one and done trainings. Oh yeah. I took yeah. it, you know, three years ago and sure. this is how I do it. And yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. But, what tactic is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, but I mean, yeah. great, um, great idea. Uh, we've got to fill the gap from yeah. the carotid that was taken away. Sure. Um, and I don't know that, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, uh, anti-police use of force uh, people would, would jump on me for saying this, but mm -hmm. I don't think there was enough research done on the carotid Mm -hmm. um, to take it away because of the thousands and thousands of times used, um, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately we've, we've probably had, um, you know, a half dozen or, you know, maybe under a dozen, uh, related deaths, but right. those deaths, it was a contributing factor, not the sole reason. Uh, usually there were drugs on board or some mm -hmm. other pre-existing medical condition. So yeah. I'd love to be able to go back to the table. Of course, it won't happen to look at the carotid and maybe put some restrictions on it. Like, you know, like firearms training, you've got to do it yeah. quarterly. You've got to keep maintain your skills and things like that. But I think we really right. lost something valuable there. Um, I've used it. If you use it correctly, it is a lifesaver. It, uh, you know, stops the fight. It mm -hmm. lessens the you know, the, the potential of injury for both you and the offender. So sure. mm -hmm. uh, I know some other agencies have pulled tasers or, you know, the axon electric um, weapon. And uh, yeah, I mean, if we keep losing these uh, force options, we're only right. going to be left with voice commands, hands-on firearms. So yes, uh, and I, that's I don't think a lot of those want. critics understand that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm compelled to clarify too, the traditional tactics work, you know, they work when they work, you know, sure. they're like, I mean, it's another tool. 
Um, you know, I'm not trying to dog those at all, but, um, you know, another thing, one of your guests, uh, this year, that bola wrap, I love that for filling the gap between verbal commands and pain compliance, right? You mental health crisis, suicide by cop scenarios. Um, you know, just, it's so cool. All this stuff coming out, just really, really moving the mark for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, the bola wrap, um, I got to say, I was one of the skeptics at first, yeah. but then I oh, saw totally. the demonstration. Like, yeah, yeah. Like Spider-Man thing. I was like, what? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So, so cool. seeing, seeing it, uh, you know, firsthand in Orlando over the summer yeah. at the FBI uh, National Academy conference, um, you know, great people behind the, the device and, you know, it's getting bigger and bigger in yeah. Europe. They're using it more. Great. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see it used more here yeah. in uh, the U.S. Yeah, let's get that data. That that would be great to, to see for sure. Yeah. All right. You jumped the shark on me. You got your number four in there. <laughs> so I'm going to jump in with my number four. Um, the opioid epidemic is huge. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in the CDC just released that we've had our hundred thousandth um, overdose death in America over a 12 month period, the, the highest ever. And um, in, you know, places like San Francisco, we've had over 700 overdose deaths on the streets. Um, mm -hmm. We've decriminalized um, many drugs, including opiates. And, you know, at the same time, the synthetic fentanyl has proliferated on the streets, used more and more either by itself or mixed with another drug and uh, a big contributor to these deaths. And yet we've taken the fangs out of policing drugs and drug use. And all many officers are left with is, is a, a, a packet of naloxone, right? You know, the, the nostril injector of naloxone or Narcan to, to save overdose. Right. Um, we'll call them victims for now, but, um, there's got to be a better way. Um, it's it's the leading cause of injury-related death in the United States. Over 70% of those deaths include uh, heroin or the synthetic fentanyl, like I just talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, the harm reduction strategies, I don't know. I was a big proponent when they were used to, you know, halt um, TB and AIDS and, and, um, and some of these others uh, that were impacting police, right? You're dealing with somebody with these, you know, awful um, uh, diseases and illnesses. And uh, now I don't, I just don't see it. Um, yeah. You know, you see them on the sides of buses and billboards, and it's like a, you know, like a soda commercial where, you know, ha have fun, do it this way and make sure you have your Narcan. It's, it's yeah. a little bit uh, tilted and something has to change, I guess. Yeah you know, the, the ball sits in the court of public health. They've mm -hmm. got to make a recommendation, but um, yeah. the numbers keep going up and up and up. And the only thing I hear as a possible uh, alternative is injection sites. And, and I mm -hmm. think those will contribute to the madness. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I've read something about injection sites. Um, this is a couple of years ago at this point. The only like plus that I really felt about them was um, the idea was that, okay, so the person can come somewhere where, the, and it was like medically staffed, 
And uh, one of the doctors said, but, but they have a goal in mind. And their goal was that once that person recovers to try to immediately get them into counseling. Hmm. So, you know, is it maybe a way to kind of corral folks and, and uh, you know, hopefully get them the help that they need? Because it is, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the roots of this are systemic and they're, you know, people have a lot of pain and, mm-hmm. you know, they're medicating and, and uh, you know, again, this falls at the, at the feet of American policing. And uh, yeah, this seems, this is definitely one of those issues that is just, uh, it just, it just feels like, you know, what do they say? Um, how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I really, I'm really hopeful for for newer thinking and, you know, I'm no expert in this, in this particular field, but it is a heartbreaker. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And I hope we can, we can get it under control. Yeah. And uh, the idea of counseling after they recover from heroin, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about, you know, new, new year's day after new year's Eve, yep. and somebody comes up and talks to you about not ever drinking alcohol again. Eh, it might work. I mean, you know, when you're hungover, I feel like you make that deal with yourself. I'm never drinking again. Yeah, right. but I, you know, but it's, I think like that, oh man, heroin is just like a different pole. You know, I've had personal, uh, you know, on a personal level folks in my life and it's just, you know, it just, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's. Yeah. It's and I one. think, I mean, it goes deeper than, you know, like a recreational use or, sure. you know, like to compare it again to, to drinking alcohol, right. Um, where, you know, you use it in social settings, you use it, you know, to sort of, you know, whatever, whatever you drink, you drink sure. in, in the case of these, you know, heavy narcotics, we're, mm-hmm. we're talking about self-medicating about, you know, maybe um, self-medicating because you have a mental illness or, you know, you have depression or there's total escape in mind. Sure. And, uh, you know, with, with climbing suicide rates, mm-hmm. there is a deeper problem and it's not localized. It is national and mm-hmm. you know we keep hearing you know things like um, use of narcotics is a public health problem not a police problem okay right. then jump in we welcome right. you jump in the right. arena please you know take yeah. your gloves off and 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 do something yeah 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 it's a, <laughs> again you know it just inevitably because of you know outcomes from using right if again falls at the feet of police and we're asking police you know, we're asking police to, to deal with this and, you know, absent funding, training, et cetera. It's, um, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. So that was my four. You're, you're, I think you're up for five, right? Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go procedural justice, procedural justice. Again, um, another concept that makes me think, why not? Um, I want to underscore, we know police officers are out there doing the right thing. So let's be transparent about it with our communities. And this is, this is a, a framework that I think allows the bridge building with our communities. Um, the Department of Justice uh, explains procedural justice as kind of like four principles or pillars, right? Fairness in the processes, transparency in actions, opportunities for voice, and impartiality in decision-making. And I really loved an article by Lieutenant Brian O'Donnell, Charlottesville, Virginia PD. Um, this past May, he wrote for Police One, and he gives officers some questions that they could be asking themselves. Um, four questions: Am I applying the law equitably? Am I treating citizens with dignity and respect? 
Am I allowing them to be heard? And am I telling them why I'm doing what I'm doing, given the time and the safety necessary to do so? And I just think, you know, again, I just having worked with so many police officers, taught so many, trained so many, you know, this is stuff that's happening every single day. We're not highlighting it enough. Um, you know, open these conversations with communities. And the other piece of this that I'm really liking is I'm seeing highly experienced police officers kind of forming alliances to create their own training on this topic and they're training their own. I've got a former colleague, um, he's partnered with two other police officers. I think one is New York City Transit Police, the other one might be NYPD. Um, and they formed uh, future policing consultants. And it's really great to see them training, uh, you know, like I said, their own and reaching out to police departments across the country and providing this great service. And again, just a great tool for community building and highlighting all the good work that, that uh, the men and women are, of law enforcement are doing out there. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit on a good point. And I think that certainly applies as a foundation in policing, right? Let's mm -hmm. do it the right way for the right reasons. Sure. I think we, we still have, uh, you know, that 2% that are not going along with the program. They're right. not open to rational discussion. And mm -hmm. at some point you say, okay, you know, all, all explanations are off. Let's get the cuffs on this individual, put them in the car sure. and get them downtown. Sure. Of um, I mean, you, you know, you touched on it earlier when you said, you know, during George Floyd that um, one of uh, the other officers there uh, said something, but didn't pursue it with, with Chauvin. And mm -hmm. I think it was, I, he might've been uh, the individual's FTO and, um, yes. you know, we have these relationships and, uh, you know, some agencies plot it out. Like if there's nobody of rank, the next person in seniority has the, the command. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we talk about duty to intervene and things like that, um, it's incumbent upon that senior officer to take control. And what you're talking about is one of these foundational things that we have to teach you know, before they get into the front door of the police academy, and once they're there, just keep pounding it in that, you know, we will be seen in a better light when we are transparent and we do show fairness. Again, you know, all things being equal. Um, but then in those situations, we're always going to have those situations where we're, we're going to have to go hands on with somebody. And it's of course. not pretty. It's never pretty. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and and that sort of funnels into my number five, and we we touched on it. I won't beat it, <laughs> no okay. pun intended. I won't beat it to death, but it's use of force issues. Yes, uh, you know, rescinding carotid, uh, restricting gas at at riots, um, and now we you know on the upside we're we're seeing new options from Axon and Bola Rap and Henner Gracie and the BJJ. Um, we're seeing, uh, you know, maybe some some new innovations. Um, we're, we're, I had Sid Heal, uh, Commander LA Sheriff's Office on the show last year, and he is the expert on um, uh, riots and uh, crowd control. And he talks about all these great, he's got a book out on understanding use of force and I mean, that's another foundational issue that I think we need to pound into new recruits that, you know, Absolutely. these are the force options. And then when we get into management training, sergeant, lieutenant, captain, uh, the understanding of force options and what's appropriate 
and what's you know what's the right kind of escalation mm-hmm. um certainly when we get out of the car and we're confronted with you know a weapon then there is no escalation we go straight right. to the force necessary to suppress but i think um you know i think as we are wrapping up this show um i think that's one of the things to look forward to in 2022 the the force options and some new ideas fresh ideas um you know i think you know uh what's the 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 adage about um necessity is the mother of invention yes absolutely and so you know i think people are starting to realize hey if we take away all force options it's going to be only you know like extreme force so right yeah zero hundred stuff yeah what do you see coming ahead in 22 I, I mean, I love um, along these lines, I'm loving the virtual reality training. I think that's awesome. Not only for use of force, but just for just your everyday citizen interactions, you know, using it for mental health crises, using it for youth or uh, populations that are compromised in some way. Fantastic stuff. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, refunding, right? We're seeing uh, lots of stuff, um, you know, folks are realizing that like, yeah, sure, changes need to be made, but they need to be sensible. We still have an obligation and a duty for public safety. And, you know, how can we balance it? And sometimes the pendulum does need to swing very far before we reach a common ground and and make sense of things. And I think that's what's happening. I think in sociology, we call it structural functionalism. I'm not really sure, but, you know, it's just like things happen and and we respond. And I think um, I'm going to, I'm going to play optimistic and I'm going to say, we're going to find some middle ground and, uh, and we're going to, we're going to, just keep improving as, as we have. Yeah. Well, you know, I've written a couple articles recently where I talk about change needs to start at the top. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in California, we've had these, you know, mass robberies with, you know, coordinated, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, offenders wearing uh, all black hoodies, masks, gloves, weapons, tools, getaway cars, lookouts, all it is a planned robbery. And, sure. and we have some politicians who try to soft pedal it as, oh, it's not what you think. It's not yeah. as bad as what you see. This is a one-off. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it too many times to right. understand it is not a one-off. Right. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, when we have a governor who would soft sell it and say, hey, rioters are not responsible for all this damage. We are as a society. I get what he's saying as sure. a yeah. phys- philosophical maybe idea, but yeah. in reality, no, people need to be held accountable. And yeah. I mean, this didn't happen overnight. We've, you know, mm. this is years in the making. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we, we've come out with, um, you know, laws to decriminalize things we've wanted to reduce prison populations we've right. wholesale let people out early because of things like covid right um, bail reform puts uh chronic offenders back on the street mm-hmm. and um we're starting to see the fruits of of these policies and i think you know you can we can just keep fund refund fund refund and right. hire <laughs> cops and put more cops on street corners we have a mayor here that says we're going to shut down traffic for 14 blocks. Nobody's going to be allowed to drive through because that's the way getaway cars are. And I'm thinking, holy Toledo, that is like yes. baby with the bathwater thinking. Yeah, yeah. Zero tolerance policies that, you know, when you talk about a swing, this yeah. is a swing that, you know, somebody needs to, you know, 
go up to the mayor and say, wait a minute, you know, we have technology, we have license plate readers, we can mm -hmm. do things strategically and surgically that are aimed at offenders, but why penalize the community for what, right. you know, this really small percentage of people are doing. So absolutely, I'm hoping to see, you know, legislators, and maybe it's the heat of the media, maybe it's the mm -hmm. heat of, you know, we've got all these recalls happening in out my way. Uh, we tried to recall the governor that didn't work. Um, right. We're looking at recalling some uh, very liberal district attorneys who refused mm -hmm. to prosecute crimes, right. Um, right. school board. So maybe, maybe mm -hmm. the voters, maybe, you know, the silent majority will mm -hmm. step up in 22. Mm -hmm. That's my hope. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll just throw in too, a uh, couple things. First of all, never forget about the victims, <laughs> you know, like the, sometimes I, I just, I'm just baffled because I'm like, well, there are people really suffering very real consequences from this. And it just seems to guy kind of get swept under the rug. It's bizarre. And then the other thing um, is, you know, big fan, big proponent, evidence-based policing, right? Empirically driven solutions mm -hmm. and, you know, it's stuff that folks can choose to see it or not. But when you have the data and, you know, there's so many people out there doing such great work, you know, to these ends, like as far as what works, what doesn't work, so on and so forth let's use it. And I mean, you almost have to put it in people's faces because people will listen to reason. Most people will listen to, to reason and logic and uh, we have it. We just need to, we need to use it and incorporate it into our, uh, you know, our public um, messaging and, and things like that. So. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, the victim, 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 yeah. let's recognize yeah. the victim and their totally families, true. right? Because Absolutely. some victims, some right. victims are not with us anymore. Yes. And Absolutely. I mean, you know, when I talk about, you know, it didn't happen overnight, we've, we've come to like reframe people in, in prison, we don't call mm -hmm. them inmates anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't call them juvenile offenders, we're calling them uh, justice involved or something. I mean, right. I guess the point where we are changing the terminology to, to be less um, stigmatizing to the offender. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know how it goes. Um, and any investigator out there knows it takes an awful lot to arrest, charge, and right. convict somebody and put them in prison. Right. They earned it. They're there for a reason. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, we've moved so far away from that. Yeah. And and you're right. The victim's been left in the wake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and kind of like judging on just uh, beliefs and comments that some of my students come in with, it, you know, what you're saying is so true. And I always want them to understand that, that like you really have to almost like work hard, right. To, to really, to be in that position. I, and I mean, which, which I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, we, we want to give people chances and things like that, but sure. yeah, it's like this whole like misunderstanding of, of, of reality. And, uh, you know, it's something we battle every day in the classroom, just trying to balance that out. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes maybe it is just sometimes it needs to hit home a little bit closer or, uh, you know, you need to actually talk to someone who's been impacted by crime and, uh, you know, because again, we're, we're always engaged in this great balancing act between public safety, the rights of individuals, right, the right of individuals in society to not have to deal or be subjected to violence or crime. Sure. And it's, yeah, and it's just kind of, of all those, I feel like the victim is the part of the triangle that just kind of is by the wayside. But Right, right. Yeah. The crime triangle. Yes. Um, I see, uh, you know, to piggyback on your evidence-based policing and best practices idea, um, we're seeing Pew and Gallup research yes. coming out there. 
Um, we're looking now at um, better percentages of people favoring police now when, mm -hmm. you know, maybe last year uh, law enforcement fell in disfavor. And now, you know, again, with this swing of, of crime, uh, we're seeing more and more people with renewed interest in justice, renewed interest in, in more police officers on the street. Um, I think that's a good thing. And then one of the big, bigger uh, defeats in the anti-policing um, agenda last year was the attack on qualified immunity. And, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that that survived was huge. Uh, I don't yeah. think, you know, we realize how big that was. Um, you know, a lot of the critics of qualified immunity that essentially, you know, gave a sort of good Samaritan uh, protection to police officers. Uh, there was this misbelief that if an officer did something with malice or broke the law that qualified immunity would shield them. And that's not the case. It's not. Um, if, if there was, um, you know, malice uh, or evil intent proven, mm -hmm. then qualified immunity did not shield uh, right. individual officers. And, you know, that's, you know, that's a message that that goes by the wayside when somebody really is pushing hard to change uh, the conversation about policing in America. Right. And I'm glad that, you know, cooler heads prevailed on that. And they mm -hmm. saw it for what it was. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just, it's a simple matter of what we're asking police officers to do out there. It's like, you know, without that protection, I, I don't know who is going to do this job. I just, it, it's, completely void of like logic you know what i mean like it's it's mm -hmm. um so yeah that was that was a big win you're right you're absolutely right yeah all right well that's that's all i have Whew, i'm exhausted i know me too time for a nap <laughs> <laughs> all right hey thanks so much uh dr janae gasparini uh what are you doing now how can we follow you what are you up to oh yeah well i am uh, starting a brand new position quote unquote back home in new york i'm really excited to uh have one foot in teaching at um, ulster county community college and one foot um helping to run the ulster county law enforcement training group police academy so i'm coordinating police basic training um, really exciting and i'm currently doing research with a colleague from shepherd university on women and policing so we hope to be turning out some articles in uh, in the new year. Yeah, great. And we could always read some of your past articles and we're looking forward to future articles on policeone.com. Always uh, love seeing what you're up to and your your articles are well-researched and they're really informative. I appreciate those. Thank you. And likewise to you, Jim. Likewise to you. All right. To our listeners. Hey, thanks for listening. What did we miss? Shoot us an email at policing matters at police1.com, policing matters at police1.com. Uh, you have any tips for 22? Who'd you like to hear from? What are issues you'd like to hear about? What's an innovation coming out? Who's an innovator? Uh, if there's a sidetrack, if it's got anything to do with law enforcement, policing, or crime, let me know. Policing matters at police1.com. I'm Jim Dudley, and hey, I hope you're all safe. I hope you're doing well and uh, enjoying your family time during the holidays. And I look forward to 2022. Stay safe, watch your six, and hope to see you back real soon. Take good care.